let's hit it. And welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, everyone. I hope you enjoyed our opening music. It's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band featuring Maya Door. You can download that on any of your favorite music platforms if you like. I just find it really uplifting and I thank them so much for writing that for us. Also, for those of you that are new, Alzheimer's Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. Our goal is to raise all voices all around the world from those diagnosed to those that care and serve them, big and small. I think it's just really important that we work together to collaborate and share stories. I think that's just such a beautiful, beautiful way to learn. So maybe you want to be our next guest. Reach out to me at alzheimerspeaks.com. There's a big Uh, contact button on our main page there, or in the link to the show here, you can email me directly as well. And to our listeners, again, I always have to thank you. Um, We would not be where we are today without you. Your likes, your clicks, and shares have been extremely important to building this community. And again, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Now, before I introduce our international speaker today, who is just so well known and loved all throughout the world. I want to give a shout out to some companies that are doing some great things. The Memory Cafe directory has five different directories for five different countries. These are meetings for people with dementia and their care partners. I don't even like to call them a support group. I like to call them a gathering of friends. I personally facilitate three. Two of them are for Arthur Senior Care, and we do those on the second and fourth Wednesday of each month at one o'clock central time. And then I also facilitate another group with Artist Senior Living, and that one is on the third Wednesday of the month at one o'clock central time. So if you're interested in participating, because you don't have to live in Minnesota anymore or be in my neighborhood, uh, you can be anywhere in the world and join us. I'd be more than glad to get you that information. I also want to give a shout out to Dementia Map. Um, Dave Wiedrich, the founder of the Memory Cafe directory, and I just launched that um, right before Thanksgiving, and it is a global resource directory, and it'll be something that it will be growing organically over time. You'll be seeing new things pop in there constantly. Um, We want it to be a resource where people are comfortable so you don't have to sign in, give us any of your contact information. It's just there for you to be able to search through. We also have an event calendar in a blog on the site. And if you're interested in a personalized tour, you can um, go to DementiaMap.com and in the upper right-hand corner, There's a little logo that says, take a tour. You can pick a date and I will see you soon once you do that. Let's see. I want to shout out to Coral Health. Um, They have two wonderful music apps. One is called Music First. The other is Coral Faith. And both they are giving away free during the pandemic. So go to Coral, that's C-O-R-O, health.com for more information. Now let's hear from the Footbar Walker and we'll be right back. Introducing the life-changing Footbar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Footbar Walker revolutionized my care of George. It absolutely benefits the patient and the caregiver both, and that's the beauty of it. 
It's so easy to use. It folds up just like a dream. I got it in and out of the car without any effort at all. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The Footbar Walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up, and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the Footbar Walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the Footbar Walker. So, as promised, I want to introduce you to Tipa Snow, who is not only an occupational therapist um, and has been for over 40 years, and so she is filled with rich and varied clinical and academic experiences, but she is known internationally as one of, if not the top speaker and trainer and leader in dementia care. Her experiences have led her to develop the GEM state model, and that's for understanding the progression of dementia. And also she's created the positive approach training strategies. Her company is called Positive Approach to Care or otherwise known as PAC, P-A-C. And they provide a ton of online and in-person education in products. TIPA presents with extraordinary expertise in an authentic and humorous way where her audiences throughout the world immediately begin to shift how they perceive, receive, and deliver care. So we are going to today be addressing social isolation during the pandemic. So welcome, Tipa. Tipa, I am so thrilled to have you with us today. I remember years ago meeting you and kind of tugging on you after a conference and a big line of people at wanting advice for my mom who used to love the water but was really struggling with showers. And you gave us such great advice about um, rain shower heads. And it not only changed my mom's experience, but really I think everybody in the nursing home because I went back and said, I want to buy rain shower heads for everybody. And they were in the process of redoing the bathrooms in the community. And they said, well, what else do you want? I'm like, oh, I got you a list. So we went through all kinds of things from colors and adding music to heated floors and tall bars. And um, it was aromatherapy, the whole, the whole nine yards. So Thank you. I am thrilled to have you on the show and um, to also have you as a partner on Dementia Map with us, the global resource. Yeah, so, yeah that's so super and very exciting. And it's great to be here. So thank you, Lori. Thank you. And I have to introduce Kate. Um, Kate, I have known for years. Uh, she is living with dementia and she's very much an advocate uh, with, a, with a positive spin on life. No matter what is tossed before her, she talks authentically and openly, moves through those emotions and gets to the rosy side once again. So welcome, Kate. Do you want to tell people a little bit about the type of dementia you're dealing with? Sure. Um, thank you for having me, Laurie. And uh, this is my first time meeting with Tipa. And I was kind of nervous because I've seen Tipa on YouTube all over the place. And uh, well, here I am. My name is Kate Lau. I live in Illinois. I am a mother of four grown children and a grandmother of seven grandchildren. Um, I live with uh, BVFTD, which is uh, behavior variant frontotemporal dementia. I was misdiagnosed with uh, Alzheimer's for the, for the first two years. And uh, as we know, it's very difficult to diagnose dementia, so it's nobody's fault. But uh, the, the, the hard part of that is I was on um, dementia medication, um, whereas FTD does not have any medication uh, except for treating the symptoms of maybe depression or anxiety. So I advocate uh, locally, I like to call it, uh, in my town, and I'm staying like just out of campus, and uh, I'm a Purple Angel ambassador, and uh, 
a member of Dementia Mentors and several online groups like Forget Me Not. Thank you. And she's also one of our panelists, uh, one of our true experts on dementia chats, which um, again, I really think that people living with a diagnosis are the ones that we need to be listening to and raising their voices. They have such great insight. So thank you ladies for taking time. Um, Tipa, I wanna start with you. And I ask this question to everybody on the show and that is, have you been personally touched in your own family or circle of friends by dementia? Oh yeah. Um, my grandfather had it when I was eight and he moved in, but this was so long ago. We didn't even, I mean, we had no idea it was dementia. He was just getting eccentric and he was odd and he would do weird things and what he did didn't make sense sometimes. And then other times he was fine. Um, in retrospect, looking back, he had vascular dementia. Uh, he had uh, he had worked in coal mines, and so he had really severe emphysema, but he had gotten black lung disease. And so he was lacking oxygen and had little strokes over time, but nobody knew that. So, um, And I became a better care partner for him than my mom. He and my mom butt heads like crazy. Um, she kept trying to use logic and reason, and it just didn't work. And then later on, my grandma on the other side developed Alzheimer's relatively young onset. Um, and then after that, I had a mother-in-law with a dementing illness that came secondary to um, having a bile duct blocked for a period of time that shut down her liver function. And it also affected then her cognition and became progressive. Wow. Um, you never know how this disease is going to attack. Yeah. I mean, it's, and then I have friends and I have lots of really close and good friends who develop dementia, some young onset, some late life, um, all kinds. And then I've just decided to pursue it. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, well, you've done an excellent job and I know um, it's, it, especially in the beginning, wasn't an easy battle to get people to understand that this doesn't have to be a horrible life uh-uh. and that there are things that we can do to make it better and easier on everybody. Um, in this process. And, and I so appreciate your teachings because you, you do everything in such a realistic manner with your role playing and your, your speech and the whole nine yards. And I know once in a while people get offended, but it's like, this is real life. This is, these are some of the things that we have to learn to deal with. And we have to learn to smile our way through them and go, this is just life. You know? Yeah. And when she says a four letter word, you go, wow, I really ticked her off. <laughs> I wonder what it was I did. Because man, is she mad? Rather than mom, don't say that because all that's going to do is aggravate. So yeah. why aggravate a rough situation when you can go, ooh, wow. Okay, then I really pushed a button. Yeah. Well, and so many families are like, well, you know, they never swore or they weren't sexually overt or whatever it might be. And, you know, the personality has changed. Some of the behaviors have changed. But you know, if we look at ourselves, we've changed over the years, too. You know, we're not the person that maybe others expect of us at times yeah. either. What people miss sometimes, Larry, which is just fascinating, is I am going to bet Now, I could be totally wrong. Kate has always been a risk taker. <laughs> so she's always been a risk taker that's just who she is it's part of what gives her joy in living so now the risk that she takes people see as oh my gosh she's not thinking it's like he has always been a little bit like that she's just further down that road now so you know if, if and when I get my dementia oh my heavens imagine what people are going to say about me um because I'm a risk taker too and it's it's that kind of if I started not taking risks, ooh, that's really significant. If I get really scared about going out and not wanting to go places, not wanting to do things, people should be really concerned because it means I'm giving up living. And that's, you got to really figure out how can you bring me back to me? Because I'm losing me a little bit. I'm getting scared of being me. And I think sometimes when we say that they never would have done stuff like that, it's like, well, they never would have openly done stuff like that. I bet your mom knew the word shit for a long time. She never chose to say it out loud, but I bet she knew it. And I bet there were times in her head she went, and she said, oh, well, bless her heart. I'm just so sorry that happened. And that wasn't what she was thinking, but she had cover. Yeah, yeah, that that is so, so very true. And we all kind of take cover and we try to 
blend in and uh, yet we might shut the door and scream our lungs out right afterwards or can you believe that you know <laughs> what did I tell you sit down and you think sound like my mother and it's like uh-huh yeah <laughs> and at the time it was like I can't believe she's so mean it is really good to look at the root of who somebody is and what does bring them joy what brought them life um, I'm, I'm, I would put myself in a category with you two as a risk taker as well. And I say the same thing. Oh boy. I hope somebody does a good job. <laughs> yeah. Better get our list together of our mellow music and who we want things to go to and stuff ahead of time uh, to be able to pass things along. I want to really focus today about the pandemic and the effect that it's had on people living with dementia in residential care, as well as at home. So, uh, you know, our famous saying, if you met one person with dementia, you've met one, one, one person living with dementia. And I think what's happened to people has been varied. Uh, what's really concerning, though, is for people who have been in residential care, the forced isolation, and I do mean forced isolation, has been horrendous, tremendous, and devastating in many cases, because these are not people who were went into residential care or were placed in residential care because we wanted them to be socially isolated. The entire purpose of having them in that environment and the entire environment is designed for common spaces to be used commonly and frequently. And the bedroom was simply a place people were going to sleep and go to the bathroom. And beyond that, come out and live with us in this space. And and what we did is we flipped it on its head overnight and demanded that people stay separated and isolated and unsupported for the vast majority of each day. And that made absolutely no sense for people who were already living with the brain changes of dementia. Um, and part of what they needed in that setting was support and interaction. And it's just, it's just, unthinkable that that was done to people without any thought of their agreement. Yeah. I mean, well, this, yeah. you know, was there was never a, I agreed to this. There wasn't any thought about that with people living with dementia. Well, and then on top of that, then we wear these costumes <laughs> with all this garb. And In so a raw people, view of just about every, I mean, so we muffle the face and the voice. We, we rob people of everything but eyeballs. We put on these other things that, and then some people are being clever and putting animal faces on the masks. And it's like, and, and gods and what yeah. have you. I don't even know the names of those things anymore. Yeah, the face shields and yeah, and then the muffling of the voice. It has to be scary. It is. And then you come and you deliver something and you walk back out. And I have no idea, perhaps, that what you put there was my food. And so weight loss has been an unintended consequences. Dehydration, falls, fall-related injuries, um, loss of con cognitive abilities and loss of communication practice. Um, language loss, anxiety, depression, um, turning on the TV set, people taking their rooms apart because what else are you going to do? People becoming detached and, and people trying to get up with people and just saying, I don't understand why you're doing this to me. I have, I'm, what, have, what have I done? I don't understand what I've done, why I can't come out. I'm not sick, I'm fine. And so no sense that from the very beginning, we needed to create pods I mean, the, the logical thing was to create pods and to help people who are providing support and care be able to be present there and not have to go somewhere, pay them enough money so they aren't working three jobs, perhaps, uh, instead of just put money in the front office. I don't know. I mean, for people living with dementia in residential care, some people were fine because they were already, and they were people who liked being on their own, like being isolated still had capacity to do a lot of things on their own. But for people who didn't have that ability, boy, this has been a rough ride. Yeah, for those that weren't introverted. And I know even in some communities here in Minnesota, especially 
they took all the furniture out of the common room. So if somebody did get out, there's no place to sit. And then it's, then it's like, are, are we moving? Uh, you know, what's, what's going, going on? on? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and no sense that, you know, we'd be better off in a common eating area with greater spacing. But I could see everybody eating, see if someone needed assistance, provide assistance. Um, I could be more present if people were in common space than trying to go from room to room. And what was actually happening is with the limited PPE, the personal protective equipment, people were not changing their PPE. They were wearing the same PPE all day long from room to room to room. So What's the point? Help me understand this. Yeah. I mean, it's just, well, those other people, the people living with dementia will breathe on people's like, yeah. I mean, I, it's just, I don't know. It's been a rough ride for us because we've watched this happening. Families being devastated with people not being able to use Zoom. I mean, some people can use Zoom. It's great. But if I can't, that means I have no connection with my family then. Because I can't, how am I going to use a telephone? <laughs> you have to bring it in. You have to dial it. Well, staff aren't available. They're busy, you know, trying to get people. When can I go to the bathroom when somebody has availability? Or I have to try on my own. Or don't bother. Just do it. I mean, it's it's been pretty, pretty rough. And I guess for me, Kate, I'm curious about you. I mean, not having any choice in this to me is like, but wait, we didn't. And very few of these, very few people that we're talking about actually have been through a court of law to be deemed incompetent. Mm -hmm. And yet they were not ever asked, what do you want to do? Correct. And uh, they've just been moved, most of them, um, mm -hmm. not very happy about the move from home to either assisted living or skilled nursing, especially skilled nursing, it's yeah. really difficult um, because that is almost end stage for some of them. And so here they are again being moved, all their things are taken from them. And it's like, that's my security blanket. And imagine when even on the best of days that you're speaking to them and sometimes they just don't want to speak and here they are, things are being taken, not what do you want to keep? Mm -hmm. you know, not, nothing. They've, they never ask anything. And their fear is already big enough because they never know. You know, what's, what's, what are they going to take from me now? What are they, are they taking Who me? Who are you? Now? Yeah, I mean, and I don't even know whether you're human sometimes um, because we've had some of our friends who are trying to work in these places that are like, they're devastated too because... I, these are my rules. I have to go by these rules. I think these rules don't make sense, but I, if I don't abide by the rules, I can't work here at all. Do I leave my friends with no one? Yeah. Yeah. You, you hear that a lot. You also hear people coming, um, families wanting to pull people out yeah. and thinking, well, you know, I'll, I'll make sure that they're safe, but you know, that's not easy either because they were placed for a reason, probably they because were. they couldn't handle it. And now staff is, a, you know, a premium and very short and you don't have very much for outside support. Like with a, even adult day, I know people are just going, oh my gosh, there's just, you know, and that's a loss for family, but it's also a loss for the person with dementia who is used to that routine well, a place to go, people to see, stuff to do. It's part of my day. And you rob me of often adult day gives me a sense of value and purpose. I mean, going and being part of something bigger than just me um, and helping other people, having a role at that center where it feels like I make a difference. And that's true in residential care too. And so families have been forced often into close proximity of each other and they have multiple roles. So they're trying to do the grandkids. They're trying to do the kids. They're trying to, to take care of a situation where we, we like each other, but we don't, we aren't used to being that close to each other for long periods of time. And we're wearing each other out. Um, and there's not a lot of other places we can go or people we can see or things we can do. And so we get on each other's nerves quite honestly. I mean, and that's, and then people pull the dementia card. And it's like, we're just getting on each other's nerves, period. I don't know that it's just about dementia. We're just tired of each other. Um, 
and then dementia gets a bad rap again. Um, yeah. Well, and people do, don't you think, Kate, they blame dementia first instead of this is just everybody's personality. You guys never got along to begin with. You know, you, you've always been like oil and water. I mean, a lot of families have that combination somewhere, you know, um, in the system there. And, uh, you know, I think it has raised awareness in families, though, that they want to be closer and that the, this is important. And it is something that I don't want to say was overlooked, but um, underappreciated what was being offered. And, you know, in a situation like this, and again, none of us have ever dealt with anything on this level, but what needs to change in order to make better accommodations? Social distancing, um, I'm much for it when it comes to like meal times. What's wrong with that? You know, it's like social distancing with all the mask and everything that you won't get it from me but they've been in their room they've been quarantined <laughs> even if I am sitting here and Lillian is sitting there for example okay at least she can yell at me if I'm making her coffee and she yep. said what on earth are you doing China she said are you put are you making me some gasoline something you know at least she could yell at me because mm -hmm. putting a thickener, I don't have the heart to do it in front of her. So mm -hmm. I'll do this. But she she knew that I was, you know. You're doing something. A, a <laughs> portion that she, me. that she hated. And at least they can voice them. You know, they have a voice to say something. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think technology has brought us so far. We can have Zoom with them if family wants to. FaceTime in between things, you know, that would help. They see their family, like, you know, I think that would help a little bit. I wouldn't go as far as the guy who took a crane to his mom's room. Did you see that? I wonder, like, well, is she going to get COVID or is he going to get COVID? That's what I thought about, you know, who's going to get COVID? I don't, I don't worry too much about the crane because I'm sure somebody is going to call security or something. But I thought, what's he thinking? You know, this is COVID we're talking about. <laughs> Well, sometimes peeking in those those upper stories, though, I had a, a actually a friend and her brother took a ladder, climbed up to the second floor to see his mom and he did it twice. Oh, wow. And he just needed to see her. And he was so thrilled that he did because a couple of weeks later, she passed. Yeah. But that was really important just to put the palm to palm. Visual. Yeah. And I mean, and there are times when that's a perfect match. And there are times that then what happens is why won't you come in? What have I done? Why are you out there? Please come in. And if that happens, we need to know what to do or we're stuck. And I say, you want me to come in? I'd love to come in. They're making rules right now, mom. I can't, but I need you to know how much I love you. But having a response to that and not have, being caught cold with, Mom, I can't come in because the pandemic. What pandemic? That's that's bullshit. And and then mom gets mad because you won't come in. It's like, oh, you wanted me to come in. Ah, mom, I'm so sorry. I mean, I I never planned to come in. I just wanted to stop by. Hey, listen, I'm going to the store. What do you want me to get you? I want you to get back here. Okay, I hear you. I mean, having a strategy, but when families are not aware of what's happened and how much the person is sometimes struggling with where I am, what's going on, why is this happening? And coming into the situation cold and not having a clue, it is a it is really uncomfortable for both parties, I think. And that's probably one of the things that's happened in COVID is people have been caught not knowing what to do because nobody's really helping in a in an organized fashion. Yeah. For people living with dementia and their families. Well, and Kate, you talked about social distancing, but even just that term, it's physical distancing. Social distancing is something's wrong with somebody, you know? And so if depending on where somebody is processing those words, yes, some people still can, depending on where they're at, going, Well, what I do wrong? Yes. Would I, why do you have to stay away? But if it's if it's physical distancing, it um, I, it just has a different impact. To me, it doesn't focus as much about the relationship. Yeah, and then the reality is for some people living with dementia in the later states, there's 
it's not an option to do either unless you would, you're just going to let them die. I mean, because people need assistance to stand up. They need assistance to remove clothing. They need assistance to clean themselves. They need assistance to brush their own teeth. And unless we're going to say there is no value in them staying alive at that point, and their option is to give up, but they, they seem to still want to engage, but they don't have the ability to initiate on their own, then I personally don't see a problem with providing the support that they need in order to continue to go. But that means there is no such thing as physical distance, because mm -hmm. if I'm going to do this and do this well, I must engage with you body to body, brain with brain for this to happen because it's just something we're getting done so we can be together. Um, but without my support, it's not possible. And it's like, there's still value in that human being. That value is still there in my mind. And so that's not the way we get rid of people or let go of people or seek to not provide care. And it's like, how dare we? set up situations where that it's not possible to do that when you have five minutes an hour. You ask as an aide or as a nurse to go to skilled nursing. You mm -hmm. have a reason why if I yeah. am to, to work at a um, maybe dementia unit, which is so calm, most of the time quiet, unless somebody feel like a fist fight or something, you know, it's normally quiet or assisted living, I'll go crazy. I need to go to um, assisted, um, not assisted, skilled nursing, right? Mm -hmm. All the action is. And uh, um, Laurie, you brought my attention to saying social distancing. I don't even socialize, you know? I mean, you are so right. This is physical distancing. You go get your salad. Now you go get your salad. You know, at least they see salad, spoons and stuff, you know? Oh, we still can eat out here. You know what I mean? And uh, um even with that, you know, sometimes they just wheel a patient out on a jerry chair. I don't know what they call them nowadays or, or whatever, you know. Still call it jerry chair. <laughs> yeah, the a jerry chair. They chop up all the food and everything. And I was watching and went like, oh, she's got a feeding tube and everything. I said, why do you bring her out? She just looks at those food. You don't know what's in her head. Maybe she wants a bite of the steak kind of cruel isn't it and she's hacking and it's disturbing a lot of people you know and then now they're in the room they're now in the room and are you going to give them pureed food or are you going oh the state wants us to do this but also there's something called common sense you don't you they have dignity you don't take them out there and hack in front of everybody and everybody gives them this dirty look or something you know it's about dignity and keep them in the room and after all, they can't eat those food. You know what I mean? So, so coming out and being social and coming out to eat a meal and coming out at a time when we can be together um, and figuring out what's going on with the coughing. Why is that happening? Did yeah. somebody need some assistance and didn't get it? Does somebody not have the ability to clear their throat? And if that's the case, what are we doing about that to provide comfort yes. care versus yes. simply, you know, yeah, she does that. It's like, it looks really uncomfortable her doing that. And it's like, well, she just does that usually about an hour or so, and then it quits. And it's like, huh. But being curious about what we see and why we see what we see and what we should do about it. Because all too often we assume, well, that's just what happens. And it's like, well, it's what happens if you don't do anything, but it's interesting what might happen if we tried something different. Different, yes, yes, exactly. definitely. And, and, and with this COVID thing, are they going to build this very, very uh, delicate, you know, and uh, with a lot of, um, probability that they can contact COVID. Those patients, I can understand they're in their room. So I think that the CNA should be checking on them during meal times and, you know, make sure that they've got all their liquid or whatever, you know, and that, that should be good enough because, and then if they want to walk, walk them around a bit, don't just keep them in there because there's COVID, you know, 
in their room. Hallways are okay, I think, with everybody else in their rooms. I don't want them to be forgotten. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, one of the one of the questions I wanted to ask, and I think this kind of rolls into it, is we all rela- we all react to isolation differently, and mm-hmm. everyone I've known has had to adjust. Even someone who's an introvert, who's like, I'm I'm good with this, is kind of going, well, you know, <laughs> maybe I'm not as introverted as I thought I was because now it's not a choice, and and that comes into play in terms of how we feel, but. There are so many different signs of anxiety and depression with people with dementia. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, I think, again, sometimes people don't really understand what's going on, why someone is reacting the way they are. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the signals that people misunderstand a lot is my me getting real territorial or why are you moving that? I don't want get out, leave me alone. Just stop. What, whoa, whoa, whoa. That tra- that's my Kleenex. What, and so that reaction of what, what are you doing? Who are you? Oh, geez. <laughs> I mean, those are all sudden things that if my baseline doesn't look like that, anything, even if it's close my eyes and not paying attention to you should be causing me to wonder, could it be depression? Could it be anxiety? Or could it be both an anxious depression? Um, Because when we get depressed, the chemicals in our brain can really signal a variety of things, sometimes hyper distressed and then flat, or we could get something that looks angry, but it really is anxiety, but it's directed outward, or it could be well, whatever you want, I don't know. I just don't know what you want me to do anymore. I mean, you're going to do whatever you want anyway. So just go ahead. I mean, I don't want to talk to her. She wants to talk. She should talk to So that, that not wanting to talk anymore, um, not wanting to try things anymore, not caring. Those are all really strong signals for me that someone who's living with dementia is starting to get either depressed or anxious. And we should be curious because it's not a permanent state, but it should cause us to be interested in what's happening. And unfortunately, COVID has made it okay for that stuff to happen so often that people are just tuning it out. You know, and and that phrase again, well, she just does that. So we, I mean, maybe she needs some medication. It's like, she doesn't need a medication to suppress things. What we need is interaction to help her cope and understand how to be alive again, because she's not been living very well. I mean, I think that sleeping or drowsing a lot is missed a lot. Um, I think repetitive behaviors where I walk around my room and I walk around, I mean, we watch caged animals do it. But we can also start to see people who are in a selected sort of setting. One of the things we might start to see is the rocking and the hand motion and the, the picking. And then the picking at things and the messing with hair and the don't know what to do. What do I do? And the folding and the folding and the folding. And so those kind of things should also cause us to go, ooh, that's different. And when we get that, that's different. For me, that's different. When I hear someone say, oh, that's different. My first thought is not necessarily dementia. (laughs) My first thought is what else is going on here besides the dementia? Because if that's different is your first take on it, then it means that's not baseline. That's really true. And those little things, I mean, we know when we're anxious, how we behave. And then, you know, it's just magnified. And a lot of times we add to the anxiety or the depression because of what we're walking in the room with um, our attitudes, even though they might be hidden and they might be masked, they are still reading our whole body language. And- Mom, how are you? Are you okay? I haven't seen you. You know, come on back. Mom, how is my favorite lady? How about this? 
um, if you have dementia and uh, you come from a different country mm. and they think that you don't quite, they don't know, they didn't ask. They, don't, they think that you can understand English. Hi, Kate. Keep quiet for a while. Who is this? Do you remember me? No. Remember, it gets louder and louder. It's like volume can make me speak English, you know. Volume can make me answer all those questions. But actually, no, it just sometimes makes them go away, you know, go away, go away, you know. And also, I think that for me personally, when I was first diagnosed and they gave me Namenda and Aricep and all kinds of stuff, I became a robot. I was rocking, I was doing crazy things. Like I was a dementia patient because somehow that triggered something in me. Um, I don't know what it was. You know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical expert. Too much acetylcholine is what they gave you, Kate. Too much acetylcholine. <laughs> you, you weren't lacking acetylcholine and they dumped a load on you. Yeah, I mean, like, what on earth? You know, it reminds me of some of the patients I've seen. It's like, oh, okay, um, maybe this is normal, you know? And then I found out later when I was off the medication, I know how to yell at people because I've got FTD now, you know, I, I realized was that I've been isolated and I've been lonely. Any sound would make me jump. And sometimes I get so mad at the person for not telling me that they're coming in the room. How would they know I'm in the room? But with FTD, you just have like short-term memory. You don't really forget things, you know. So when they come in, I said, how come you did not knock the door? We are the fighters. We are the, see, mm -hmm. but we don't forget, long, no. we don't lose a long-term memory. No, and that's, that's what people who don't get the different types of dementia totally miss out on. So one of the things that I think is critical is that I don't know for sure who you are when I'm coming in your space. And so the rule is, Kate, hey, it's Tifa. I'm from North Carolina, and you're from Malaysia. <laughs> wow, Malaysia. Whoa. I'm floored. Malaysia, that's a long way away. Wow. And now you're in Illinois, huh? I don't. I think I'm in California. Oh, California. Oh, wow. Boy, you are a traveler, huh? Yes. Super cool. Me too. Not Malaysia, though. Never been there. So how did that interaction feel to you, Kate? Um kind of comfortable <laughs> because I really am <laughs> but then you know I, I forget so easily I can say um, I'm from wherever like yeah you know, yeah so and it's really okay I mean if in that moment your brain says you're from California it's like why is that a problem for me to say I, oh California I, that's a beautiful yeah, part of the California you know so it could be California like yeah. when I was asked who's the president I said Barack Obama, you know, so he was the president and he's still the, you still say that a person is a president even after he left. See, and look at that. That's what that FTD is about. But you and that FTD, see, you're going to, you're going to figure out a way that's right, no matter what. And you are absolutely accurate. Okay? And have you ever knocked at a door and say, hi, I'm Tipa. And that is inappropriate behavior. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go out for a little while and I'll mm -hmm. be back. <laughs> You yeah, have. I mean, I have when somebody said I knock and they say, leave me alone. And I say, you don't want me coming in. And they say, no, leave me alone. I say, OK, I'll leave you. Is there anything I can get you before I go? And it's basically I asked permission. You said no. OK, I'm going to honor that, because if you have no control over our interaction, how is that OK? I mean, I'm here to be helpful, but I've got to acknowledge if you don't feel in control, this isn't going to go well. And that's where we go back to depression and anxiety. If someone's depressed or anxious 
and I take away a sense of control, all it does is make the anxiety worse or the depression worse. And so acknowledging how someone's doing by being respectful without giving up on them. I'm, I didn't say I wouldn't come back. I just said, I hear what you're wanting right now is not me. And it's like, okay, not me now. So when I come back, not knock, Miss Kate, I have a huge favor to ask of you. Don't look at me. You don't want me looking at you. May I ask my favor anyway? Ask. Mm -hmm. So what just happened there was respect, respect, acknowledge. I don't know whether Kate's culture says eye contact from a person is disrespectful or Kate just doesn't want me looking at her right now. But if I acknowledge and then respond to that, we're going to go further. And I said, may I still? She wants to be in control a little bit. And it's like, that's fine because this is a relationship. And I think the missing piece often in this COVID time of COVID is we forgot about it's a relationship. It's built on mutuality. And, and in our effort to be protective, we get a little overambitious. And that anxiety, that depression, whether it's ours, whether it's theirs, whether it's a combination, has really impacted all of us. The anger of being left alone so long, and now you're coming in and I'm changing. Okay. Yeah. I don't even know I'm changing, but I know that, you know, you haven't done this. So yeah. don't look at me. I'm doing it myself, you know? Yes, ma'am. Yes. You so, feel deserted. You feel abandoned. And I think that phrase like, abandoned has been undervalued in the world of dementia. People feel abandoned um, because it's like you've been gone so long, unprecedented. The length of this of this virus has is basically for us never been seen like this. I mean, chicken pox, 10 days, you're done. You know, it's yes. any kind of flu, you know, you go through flu season and we're done. And this thing has just dragged on for so long. We are literally losing, I think the last statistics were 10% more people just due to dementia than we did last year at the same time. We're 10% higher in our death rate just because people are not surviving. Yeah, I heard people in um, communities and things talking for the first like two and a half to like three months it, that everybody was adjusting pretty good. It was pretty calm. And then all of a sudden they saw a huge tipping point. And so was the huge tipping point because they got into a pattern and felt a little bit more in control and were able to look deeper at what was going on you know, or were people really able to adjust and work through it? Because a lot of what dementia, people with dementia tell me is they're kind of used to that um, in, in earlier stages that, you know, I'll go along with this because I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be scared. So I'm not going to, you know, Rocks the boat. yeah. And then there's that tipping point and, and very, very interesting um, process. There have been some good things, I think, that have come out of COVID. Like you had mentioned, people are starting to become more relationship-based versus task-oriented. Now we have to get it to our, our state and our county officials that that is a really important feature of life <laughs> and service. And because, you know, so often people are like, well, like you said, we have to do this. We're going to get flagged. We're going to get fined. We're going to get fired if we yeah. don't. Yeah, and being truly person-centered, uh, we've totally lost our person-centered approach to providing support and care in many programs. And it's not that individuals aren't doing it. We are, that's what's making it work. But from a governmental standpoint, person-centered is out the door when it comes to dementia. And yet we're dealing with the outcome of not being person-centered in so many aspects of our life. And yet where dementia comes in, it's, it's sort of like, yeah, except for those people, those people all need to be managed like this. And it's like, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Why are we putting all those people in one category, like all the nursing home people? Um, but then in, in other settings, people are making individual choices like 
anybody's business. And it's creating all kinds of tension because it puts us against one another. Um, wearing masks, not wearing masks. Oh my heavens. North Carolina, I've got to tell you, <laughs> we've got issues down here. Um, and trying to help people be willing to do it because it's a community effort. But if I don't feel like I'm part of the community, then why should I? And that whole aspect of, that's like a micro piece of the bigger problem that I think we're struggling with in the world of dementia support and care. Laurie, I have a question for you and for Tipa. Tipa, you've traveled, you've heard all this, and Laurie, has anybody thought about having, or has it been done, that there is a nursing home just meant for people that has no COVID whatsoever, okay, they've been tested, and just put them there so they can have some form of, you know, socializing with each other. Do you remember the Navy uh, ship that, you know, and then they had one there? Yep. Okay. Yep. My husband's yep. really best friend's son was one of the higher uppers, okay. and uh, they had that ship there. And yep. that's, that's what my thought is. Don't you think that is a great idea? But yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting idea. Our challenge is the carers are from the community. And unless they isolate themselves from their families or bring their families onto the ship, if you would, if we have a pod that includes all the people and the people are not going to interact with people outside the group, then we have a potential to actually create a community that's safe. That's what they're doing with sports and they call it a yeah. bubble. You that's know? right. It's the bubble. But what that means that everybody has to agree that either our families are all part of this bubble or we give up our families for the duration. Um, and that's a tough call for carers to give up their family because the reality is they don't often make enough to hire someone to be their sub surrogate or their substitute for their children while they take on this role. They've got to do this and then go do that. And so that's where I think the system is going to need some work, is what we've figured out, I think, big picture-wise. Yeah, we've had a, a few communities that have given their um, employees an option. Either you work for us or you work for them, but you can't work for both. And they, you know, uh, one executive director said, I won't hold hold it against you, no matter what your choice is, but we have to limit where people are going to, because even just going to your house and out to the store yep. is a strain on the system. But then if you're going into other communities, it's even a bigger spread with staffing patterns of who's watching who, who's caring for who, you know, mm -hmm. making sure that that's more consistent. And, you know, when there's staff shortages, that's almost impossible. And, and what we've really been seeing is um, essential family caregivers, essential family deciding, I want to step, I, I never gave up my mom. I mean, I wasn't setting her up for adoption and I wasn't, a, I didn't leave her in a basket at the facility, but it feels like I've been asked to treat it as though she's in a, you know, she's in an orphanage and it's like, but that's not how it was. And so we're seeing families who have, chosen isolation for themselves um, to be protected, to be available, they're starting to ask questions about, well, what makes you an employee going in and out in those situations versus I'm a family member and I want to come and be with because my mom needs more support and I could offer her that social support, physical support, past support, yeah. um, <laughs> engagement support. And I think we're starting to realize, wow, we have a really skewed picture of what this could and should be. And now we're realizing how much trouble we are in if we create barriers where there weren't barriers before. Um, because many families were a core part of care in institutional care settings. My mom was in the nursing home for 14 years and I, I don't know what I would have done yeah. in this period of time because I was there a lot. Depression and anxiety. Right. A lot of depression yeah. and anxiety. I yeah, it would have been, and, and they would have they would have seen a side of me they didn't like either because I would have been pushing that envelope over and over and over again. We've got one gentleman in our um, one of our memory cafes, and he is in assisted living. His wife's in memory care, and so he goes down four times a day 
Um, and he has also set up an iPod in, or an iPad in a room yep. that's on all the, time. all the time. He can pop in, he can talk to her, he can see if she's getting tired, he's got their cell phones to call directly and say, Virginia's got a need. I think she has to go to the bathroom or it's time for her to go to bed. And if they don't respond, he scoots right down there and said, I called. Yep. She, needs, she needs assistance. And, yep. you know, he's connected enough to be able to do that and strong enough, you know, um, in terms of pursuit of if you don't let me in, you're going to have more problems because you're not doing what you're being paid yeah. to do. Yeah. And a, and a community that accepts that his role is so helpful to them. I mean, yes, it may be irritating, but gosh, it's like, it's the awareness and the alertness that they can't do. I mean, they don't have the personnel to do that. So he is actually supporting them so effectively. And I hope they acknowledge that versus feel like he's a pain in the behind because he is the extra set of eyes, the extra set of hands that is making her life worth living. I mean, and not making her miserable. Yep. yep. And that He's actually helped several other families set up cameras for their loved ones in memory care. He's turned into kind of the techie person. Good for um, him. And, and he said, yeah, he says, all I have to do is, you know, get it to the staff. They have to put, set it up once it's all plugged in. It's all programmed. Virginia doesn't have to touch anything. You know, sometimes he'll say hello and she'll respond. Sometimes she won't, but he can peek in anytime. And he just says, it just gives him comfort and to know that she's safe, you know, and to be able to see her when he needs to see her. Um, versus a scheduled, you know, Facebook meeting or Zoom, which is wonderful that they're doing that, but it just, it's not twice a week. I get to see my mom twice a week kind of thing. I mean, that's very different. If you've been there four times a day, he's going to need a lot more connection. Yeah. And she, I mean, or every two weeks. Um, And Kate, did you have a a question or a comment? uh, Yes. Uh, I was thinking that, don't you think that with so many, um, government offices and you know being closed because they work from home don't you think that the nursing home would hire someone like me who has nothing better to do and set up all these things for different patients or mm-hmm. residents and uh, I can go around to each room and say hey hi you know um, because if I were to say I would volunteer at skilled nursing okay and mm-hmm. people right away say uh, okay, I'll check your background, you know, okay, yep. I have a perfect background yep. check. And then they yep. say, uh, somebody has tried this before in one of my groups. Oh, I've got dementia. I said, well, why did you say that? You look normal. <laughs> <laughs> Just go volunteer. That's something I would do because I look normal. Yep. Yep. And, uh, but then they wouldn't let me because and I can't lie. Okay? Right. So, well, if it's I any... Do if- this, if you're, if it's any comfort, Kate, they're they are letting no volunteers in, yeah. not just if you don't have dementia. I mean, so it doesn't even matter whether you have dementia or not. They won't let anybody in. And so care goes undone. Okay. I can do this. Hi, yeah. you know, how are you doing? I can do this for like yep. maybe one ah. hallway. Tomorrow yep. is another one. And I go around. Well, because I'm isolated and I'm lonely and yeah. they are, and I also can see what they're eating or are the CNAs eating their food sitting next to them They did because they don't want to eat, you know? And, and this has so many positives to it. And I think nursing homes or nursing homes, uh, care centers should provide this. It's not that much. Do you know how much they charge them a month? $10,000 where I was working. It's like, so what is this? What is a, what do you call this? A laptop. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody to say a few things, you know, because everybody's working from home these days. Yeah, but it was, it's also hard to get some of that equipment because of the shortage and the increased demands of where it's going and supplying the kids with stuff. At, I mean, it's, um, a, it's a very, very complicated system. Um, but, it, you know, if they would wire TVs, you know, but not all communities have that system. Um, But maybe that's something that they have to look into. We could talk all day on this and I want to be able to kind of wrap up here. So Tipa, I just want to ask you um, a couple more questions. And, um, and one is, 
you know, what, what are some tips that, that we have for those living with dementia and their families and their friends and professionals to get them through this, um, where we're reducing anxiety and stress and providing quality care? Yeah. So my usual is think in five minute increments because five minutes can feel either like a lifeline or a lifetime if we do it well. So plan on five minute connections because I don't want to overwhelm you by doing it too long, but it's enough to get you started. So let's plan on a five minute interaction. And I want to have in mind maybe two or three props ideas of what we can focus in on. And therefore I won't get stuck on just, if she doesn't want to do the thing that I was thinking about, oh man, I'm not sure what to do. Whether I'm the person living with dementia and I'm trying to interact with a family member or a friend, or whether I'm a friend trying to act, interact with a person living with dementia, the five minute interval and the first thing I encourage people to do is something like, so how are you doing? Here, here, or here? And wait for an answer. Because the very first thing I want us to do is figure out where is that other person? And what I said is, it wasn't just, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. You know, I'm asking, how are you doing? Are you doing great, okay, or uh? If you're here, I want to notice that so that I temper my interaction. Oh, well, that's not good. Listen, I have a favor. Just for a few minutes, five. Would you help me with something? Now, how do both of you feel that urge to do something with me for five minutes? Well, it gives me purpose. <laughs> Yeah, and here's what I'm looking for. I am trying to think of a recipe that's a comfort food that gives you a sense of comfort. Now, I brought my recipe book, but I'm curious, when you were a little kid, what was something you ate or drank that made you feel good? And what I'm doing with that, believe it or not, is I'm changing the chemistry of your brain. I'm taking you to a place of comfort. I'm getting you to think about now hot chocolate or hot apple cider or something else, Lori, because Minnesota, I'm thinking you must do something warm to drink when it's. Yep, but we have hot days too, and lemonade's good. <laughs> oh, lemonade's good. Oh, make it yourself or do you buy it? Make it ourselves, fresh squeezed. Wow, so you squeeze the lemon? Yep. Oh, now, do you do syrup or sugar? Sugar. And just a little, but it's, yep. And my granddaughter loves doing it with me. And that makes it even more precious. Oh, cool. Crushed ice or ice cubes? It depends on the mood we're in. So, I mean, it's this whole thing. And now when we're done, guess what? Your chemistry is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And who came up with the granddaughter and the lemonade and the, I mean, that's your brain doing some homework. Yep. Yeah. And so that idea of, I do bring my recipe book. I have it, you know, it's right over here to the side. I have a couple of pictures of comfort foods for me. Um, and then we have something else that I could do differently, but that idea of coming into connection with support for me so that I can be supportive to you because I want to pre-think this a little bit. This isn't a free ride anymore. Yeah. Well, and that allowing them to give of themselves and to help. I mean, everybody likes to be able to do that. And, yeah. and yet it's so overlooked in, in the way we care. It's so, it's just like, let me do it. I can do it faster. I can do it better. Do you a favor? It's like, <laughs> Come on, you can open your mouth and eat this or drink this. You know what? In winter, I want cold drinks and ice cream. Oh, so my heavens. You think that I want coffee with whatever, <sighs> you know? It's like, turn your face. Maybe um, she doesn't like this. Do you want some fruits? 
and what kind of fruits, you know, you, you can, it doesn't take long to try many things, you know, one day, I do, I, I, okay, why did you ask Laurie all the good questions? When I was little, I love shaved eyes. <laughs> oh, you know what? I have a friend from Hawaii who's exactly the same. Now, oh, what's your favorite flavor? Um, I just actually don't need flavor anymore. Oh, you're kidding me. I just loved it. <laughs> Hers is squish the mango. Squish oh, the mango up yeah, oh and get the juice from the mango and drip it on the shaved ice. That is her, one of her favorites. Oh, yes. That. Uh, and then, yeah, that would be my thing right now because it's winter and I want, I think my mouth is dry because it's winter. Uh, and I want, yeah. See? And now I got you hydrated. Who oh, would have thought? Jeez. And I need it because my brain is atrophying. Well, this has been just a great conversation, and I'm sorry that it, it has to end. If you want to reach out to Tipa, you can uh, go to the website, tipasnow.com. That's T-E-E-P-A snow.com or info at tipasnow.com. And you will find all kinds of products and tools and courses, some free, um, some are are, you know, pay as you go, uh, but it just, you offer so many things, it, such a huge wide variety of resources for people, um, DVDs and cards and guides and books and videos. YouTubes and, and yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been doing this a long time. Yeah. A lot of live stuff on, on Facebook as well, or you can call their office at 877 877 Seven one. But thank you both so much. And Kate is on Facebook. So if you just pop her name in there, she will pop up and she uh, works with a lot of the different groups as facilitators and, and administrators of groups as well. So thank you both ladies for sharing your knowledge and um, your compassion and joy for living well with dementia. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Beth. Lori. Thank you. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.